Our emotions are designed, they're designed to inform us, not to direct us. There is no number you're ever going to get to that is going to heal whatever is going on inside of you. I think defining what it means to be a man is not possible. And, and when I say I don't think it's possible, I think I mean on a mass scale of agreement throughout societies. Oftentimes, anger is simply sadness masked. Because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death. You are now embarking on the imperfect experience. Hello, imperfect listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Imperfect Pod. Today's guest is Jim Case. Jim is the author of Fear is a Choice, Unraveling the Illusion of Our Separation from Love, um, and he has been married to his husband, Michael, for 10 years. Uh, they live in Denver, but what's interesting about Jim is that he was married to a woman for 24 years uh, before entering his marriage with now his partner, Michael. Um, it's a really interesting story. No, it's not a position of pray the gay away. Um, it's an act of, it was an act of survival for him. So it's a really fascinating story. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to him to have him on the show. Also, his book, Fear is a Choice, I do have three copies to give away to listeners of this show. Um, so make sure to head over to my Instagram, uh, at the imperfect pod to see how you can be entered into that um, draw to win this book. Um, it'll be coming out sometime this morning uh, of the day of this release. So make sure to head there to check out how you can win. All right, imperfect listeners, I am here with Jim Case. Now, uh, he has a really fascinating story, in my opinion. He was in a same, or sorry, not, he was married to a woman uh, for, how long was it, Jim? 24 years. 24 years, but Jim has been openly gay since his uh, high school days. And I know what you're probably thinking, pray the gay away, <laughs> not a situation like that at all. And he's actually in a 11 year relationship now with a man, correct? Yes. Married. Yeah, so and, yes. married. And I think that's a really fascinating story because I know people who have been gay and married to women, but it was almost always a situation of pray the gay away. Uh, but that's not your case. But mm -hmm. before we get into that story, first question I always ask all my guests is who is one person dead or alive that you'd like to have over for dinner and what would you cook for them? I, I know this is going to sound hokey, um, but truly, I think in the course of the last mm, easily 40 years of my life, I think a living person I would love to sit down and, and cook a meal for is Oprah Winfrey. As weird as that may sound. Um I just, uh, she's someone that I have obviously admired for a long time. I've, I, I think her story is amazing. Um, but to have a conversation uh, at the level, and I don't know how to say this without sounding goofy, to have a conversation at the level I'd want to have a conversation with, she's the person I'd want to have that conversation with. Because uh, what I see in her is that yeah, I mean, she's a very wealthy person, but she comes, she she presents herself as as another human being, um, and to be able to have the conversations that I have with people with someone like her, where this this dialogue can exist um, and sharing concepts and ideas, I think is profound. And and I love to cook, so being able to to create a meal around that whole experience would be quite extraordinary. Actually, I'm sure there are others, but I don't tend to um, I don't tend to focus on those not here um, mm. while that's while while there are lots of people who offer lots of things via books and movies and such um, I just I, I've never had that in my life where I was focused on someone no longer here as an inspiration mm. um, so that's just me but I, I as you say that I think about it I'm like yeah there's never a point I can remember as far back as I can remember that I ever went that I ever thought that way. So it's interesting. Yeah. Know. I thought that was interesting that you prefixed it with um, a living person. Cause I have had people go or ask me like, do you mean living person or dead person? And I'm like, it really doesn't matter. I, I've had some people go fictional characters as well. Um, mm. But I, I, I did like how you said she presents herself as human. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you and the whole presentation part of, of, 
everything LGBTQ and, and homosexuality. One thing that you and I talked about in uh, a previous conversation is how you don't present yourself as gay um, or, or that doesn't really seem to be how people would read you in mm. certain situations. And I'm really curious what you meant by that before we kind of get into more of your story. Um, I think ultimately, well, that experience for me is that more often than not, um, when I'm talking to someone, uh, I had, I was having a conversation with, uh, who was it? Uh, I, I, somebody that, that I was somewhat familiar with, but maybe didn't know me, but they, they automatically assumed I was married to a woman. And I regularly have to correct people about that. Um, when I say I'm married, um, cause I'll usually reference my spouse, um, depending on the circumstance. Um, I, I'm not about putting that that aspect of myself in people's faces, as it were, um, meaning I don't have to run around blaring to the universe I'm gay and everybody needs to know it. I'm very comfortable with who I am and I'm very comfortable with with where I am in my life. So it, I just find that I get responded to pretty regularly because I'm, I'm a pretty straightforward guy. I mean, I'm not I'm not terribly effeminate. I'm not terribly aggressively masculine, but I'm but I, I guess I when people see me, they just kind of see me as a middle-aged straight guy, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> so yeah. for me, it's, it, and it's no big deal to me one way or the other, because really in, it's all in context. So somebody may reference my wife and depending on the conversation or who it is, I may not even respond. I may not even correct it. I may just mm -hmm. leave it because it's not worth the time and energy in that situation. <laughs> you know, like I don't have to defend my gayness. I'm real happy yeah. with who I am. Um, so it's more about it's more about correcting it so, so that that person or the person I'm or talking to understands who they're talking to, not whatever their version of who they're talking to is. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think it does. So, so one question I have for you then is: Do people think that, or do people who think they have a good gaydar or any kind of essence of that that are straight, do does that kind of annoy you at all when people try to assume people's gender or not even gender identity, sexual identity or, or sexual preference? That's a really interesting question because first off, I'm, I, I definitely uh, experience what they call gaydar um, personally. Um, there's, there's a certain feeling, there's a certain energy that exists that uh, isn't about judging. It's not about, um, you know, I mean, more, it's, uh, it's more of an internal thing almost all the time, you know, but I, I, I was laughing to myself when you said it, because very recently I was with a, a, a straight friend of mine and a guy walked by and my, my thing went off my, you know, that, that gaydar is what we call it, but that's that energy of, oh, there's family. Mm. That's sort of how it resonates for me. Um, and I laughed and I turned to him and I said, and cause he had made a comment about the guy about something. And I said, I don't know his family. Don't worry about it. And, and he, he laughed. And he was like, what are you talking about? And, and now whether that's true or not is completely fabricated because I didn't ask him. Um, mm. but it's more of a sense of, for me, it's more of a sense of this idea of, of family. Yeah. You know, it sort of feels like, ah, one of me sort of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. I, I, I think it's really interesting cause you know, I, as I've grown up, you know, you get, you see a lot of different things of anyone can be gay or anyone cannot be gay. And there's this whole idea that, you know, gay men are typically more feminine or speak more feminine or act more feminine or dress more feminine, feminine. But then you see really masculine men who are probably in the hyper-masculine realm mm -hmm. that are really sexualized, it seems, in that community um, mm -hmm. based off conversations that I've had. And it really comes down to sometimes you just can't tell. And it's kind of disrespectful to assume that of someone, I guess. Oh, and especially if it's out of context to anything, um, you know, it's it's really none of anybody's damn business. Um, it, it, you know, there's just certain things that happen as we move through life and we interact with people. But I'll tell you, to your point, um, the difference between the gay persona in Southern California, because I lived in San Diego for 10 years up till two years ago. Now I'm in Colorado. The difference between the image of a gay man in, in Southern California and San Diego and in Colorado are almost polar opposites. Mm -hmm. um, meaning the image of men here 
in Colorado is very much what you described is that kind of hypermasculine, lots of beards, lots of flannel, lots of, you know, lot seriously. I mean, I'm not, I'm not mm. trying to stereotype. There is a, a very clear difference that these very uh, kind of straight looking, straight acting guys. Um, and I'm not saying that there isn't the panorama that there is in every community, but here what's forward is that Midwest mentality where in San Diego, it's more of that Southwest mentality, that Southern California deal. So mm-hmm. what comes forward in that environment is is more of what you were describing, where there's more way more gender fluidity and there's way more um, what shows up forward is a more is a more, I think, feminized male in that regard, uh, more of the typical gay male look. Not that there aren't, again, grades and varieties throughout all across, but it's just interesting that they're almost flipped between the two places. Do you think that's more from a locational cultural standpoint, or is that because in Colorado it's more maybe conservative and that community isn't as, uh, I guess, or it's more frowned upon there? Like, do you think it's more protecting their their that sexual? Identity? I find I find for the most part Colorado seems to be pretty open, um, mm. uh, but. I think you answered your own question in the sense that it's still somewhat the same. It's, it's, yes, this is a, this is, there are way more, there are a lot of conservative areas here. Um, but the other thing about it too, is where, like, at least for me in San, in San Diego, there's a, a much more focused uh, gay community in that regard. Meaning, you know, like Hillcrest is, is sort of the gay Mecca of San Diego. So there's bars, there's stores, there's, there's all kinds of, focused attention on the gay community in that area where Denver doesn't have that type of, uh, it's scattered. It's all over the place. There's no mm. two bars next to each other. They're across town from each other. Um, and, but there is a large gay community here. So I think it's a balance of both. Um, probably the, this sort of Midwest mentality lives here. You know I mean? Denver is only recently, like recently within the last maybe five or 10 years has really blossomed into more of a a balanced culture um mm-hmm. because it's really cowboys i mean this was a cowboy town up until 10 years ago you know yeah. and now it's become because in part i think politically in part i think economically you know um there's been a lot of migration into into colorado so it's altered all kinds of stuff from and you know financially yeah. and people wise and all that stuff so that's interesting too, because I've had a conversation uh, with another gentleman who's going to come on my podcast, and and we were talking about gentrification and how gay communities or really become gentrified in a lot of ways because of the mm-hmm. art and and culture that they bring. You know, if I think about Toronto, um, there's Liberty Village, which is a pretty gay community, or or like built around it, and mm-hmm. it used to be like more kind of like segregation, but now it's more this is a pride filled, not even pride in the sense of gay pride. I just mean like they're proud to be there. It's, it's less ostracized. It's more, a lot of culture comes from there, um, which is why I think locational is so important. And as you talked about, I think it was Hillcrest or right that you mentioned in San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, But now kind of getting in. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say it's, it's so interesting. Um, I, I have seen and do believe that the, in, in part to what you're saying, the influence of, the gay culture on culture at large has been really profound in the last 10 years. Um, meaning, I mean, I personally talk to people that say things about um, gay, gay couples moving into communities um, and, and how they find that they love it because they take care of their properties. They're, they're interested in the community. They're interested in being involved and, and helping to bring a different energy to um, you know, to, to their community, a different meaning, a more open, more connected, more kind of experience. So it's it's interesting how that that seems to play out, you know, in the gentrification mm-hmm. process too. And you're talking like community more in like the suburban area. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That um, uh, and that's what's so funny here in Colorado that to me is so different is is where where in where in San Diego there's there's this focus and then you know it, it spreads out in part due to rent levels and things like that. Here it's just scattershot all over the place, like. You know, um, and it may be that's true there. I just notice it more here. And now kind of getting into your relationships and how Mm -hmm. that's affected your life. You know, when I saw that you reached out to me um, and had a relationship with a woman, 
I thought that was super fascinating. Um, and why don't you kind of give a little bit more context to the audience here before going into the questions that I have about that relationship and that experience, because I think it really is interesting to provide context to it, to know that it's not a pray gay the way thing and, and how it was more of a means for your own survival. Sure. Um, do you want me to give the kind of the story arc? The yeah. yeah. Condensed version? As, as, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, I came out, uh, I, I, I have been gay as long as I can remember. So the question of, being gay was never an issue for me. Um, and I came out officially, I think when I was a sophomore in high school and from the point of coming out, I came out with both barrels in every possible explosion of energy that I could find to express and be a part of the gay community. And as a young person being a good looking, pretty young gay boy, I, I attracted a lot of attention. Um, and I, engaged in a lot of attention. So it it was a a shared experience. Yeah. But um, then um, as I, uh, after I moved out of my parents at at 16, early 16 and um, 16 years old, and then moved to New York City and um, really dove in headfirst to all of it, um, there came a point. And and then the woman who would become my wife, I met uh, in the last kind of year and a half of that time frame of living in New York and living that life and going there. And, um, and she and I um, had an interesting relationship to start because she thought I was the most obnoxious human being she'd ever met and the most arrogant person I'd ever met, which is interesting because I think the arrogance is what kept me alive. Um, but that's another story that's in and of itself. So uh, there was a point where um, I had I moved to New York to become an actor, to become you know famous as an actor, and, and about a year into that, realized that I didn't have the skin for it, and nor did I want to go through what it appeared I had to go through to get there from here. And I was in a dis- really kind of depressed place about it, and uh, I had gone through a process with myself and literally written a dear God letter, you know, going, oh my God, my life sucked, I don't know what to do, and finally said, I don't care. Do something with me. Please do something with me. And 12 hours later, I got a call from Mona, who, who became my wife after a couple of years, to invite me to Arizona to help her with a project that she was working on. Um, and she had no idea really why she was asking me because she really couldn't stand being around me, but she felt compelled to do that. So she did. And then five days later, I moved to Arizona and never went back. That relationship evolved um, very much as a as a kind of a teacher-student relationship. She was is a, a very powerful woman and and, and a, an amazing teacher. She had studied a lot, a, a lot of background with the Native Americans and, and had, had done a lot of training and things like that that I was very interested in. And um, I slowly became, because I'm, I'm, if I'm anything, I'm, 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 I'm a very organized, very uh, focused, very accomplished accomplishment sort of oriented in, in that at that point in my life. So I was able to help a lot at the time they were moving to Arizona to open a natural healing center. And so I was there with that process over the course of the first six or seven months. Uh, there was a sense of really strong, powerful connection between us. It was not a sexual connection. It was it was a it was a heart connection. And um, she was and is 21 years my senior. So at that point, I was 19 and she was 41. Is that math right? Something like that. Um, and I kind of in the evolution of that experience came to the realization that given where I had been and I showed up in Arizona, didn't know I was very sick. Um, I had in, in the meantime, had contracted a parasite that was that was devouring my intestines. And um, so when I left when I was living in New York, I was about 165 pounds. When I left New York and got to Arizona, I was like 105 pounds. And so the first year was all about the healing process, but then the relationship evolved and I was becoming very interested in the work and wanting to do that work and and our friendship deepened. And there was just this sense of, I think I need to move into this because the path that I had been on was completely self-destructive. And at least this path seemed to offer a way for me to learn more about who I was and who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so going into the relationship, there was no secret. Um, she knew my history. She knew where I'd been and what I'd done. Um, uh, you know, we had talked about all those things. So it was a, 
um, it was a very open experience in the sense that there was no there was no hiding anything, and I really didn't know what I was getting into other than I felt like this was the right thing to do um, for my for my wellness for my health to even stay alive past the age of thirty mm-hmm. um, because I had been so aggressive you know I mean to give you kind of an idea um, I had a very dear friend um, in San Diego we had a conversation about partners. And she had been in her lifetime, had been with, and she was in her 60s. She had been with maybe f- three or four people her entire life. And I, that forced me to think about that. And I realized that I had been with probably close to triple digits by the time I was 21 mm. of partners. So I'm not kidding when I said I broke out with both barrels. I was, <laughs> it was all about, it was all about the D as they say. <laughs> it yeah. was all about that. So needing to break that, I was really clear and had come to a point of recognizing that I had, I had to make a major change to the trajectory that I had started. And so stepping into this marriage was really what that was about. I love, I love her and loved her very deeply. Um, there was not a strong sexual component at all in our relationship. That was something I had to work on. Yeah. Um, but she knew that. We talked about it. We talked about it regularly. Um, and um, I, I struggled throughout at, at different stages throughout the relationship with um, with it, with my sexuality, because I knew, I, like you said, it wasn't a process of if I do this, then I'll go straight and everything will be better. I didn't. It wasn't even a concept. It was more of I want to survive. I want to live my life. And I don't even know who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I need to figure that out. And I think the relationship created the, the environment for that to begin to happen. And then um, the partnership was so strong uh, because of who she was and because of who I am and the work we were doing together. It was a very, it was a perfect match because I could support her energy all the time. Yeah. Um, and um, and then over time, you know, obviously toward the end, things got as as that was no longer viable. And I needed, I thought, to uh, give myself permission to be a gay man instead of a crazy gay boy. Um, yeah. And and to get to to see what that experience was like, because what happened in in our marriage now was it was disintegrating. But because it was done, you know, I mean, we 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 had run our course together and um, she's still a dear friend. I still talk to her once a week, twice a week, every couple of weeks. So it's, there's no, there's no bad feeling or, you know, we worked through all that stuff and, and uh, we love each other very much, but mm-hmm. realize, you know, we're very different people. Yeah. And there's a couple of things within that story that I want to dissect. So the first thing, what you said was you left home at 16. Yes. Um, was that, did your parents know you were gay or and like, that's pretty young to leave. Right. And a lot mm-hmm. of people would even attribute that to abuse or, or some aspect. Getting kicked and, and it was none of, none of it. Um, it was a circum. It's a pretty funny story. Actually. I, I had been sneaking out of my parents' house uh, for quite a long time prior to this for a good year prior to this. And I would, uh, my father worked, my father uh, owned an, an automobile repair shop and, and a gas station and things of that nature as we were growing up. And so he had his own business. He was, he was, Successful, he did very well, but he, he and he would regularly bring home uh, cars, whether it was his car or some other car from the shop because he was test driving it on the way home or whatever the case may be. And I would regularly sneak out at night and borrow those cars and go out to corrals and do my thing. And I came home uh, the night in question, <laughs> and um, I had, and in the meantime, I had a key and all that, and, and apparently my mom had woken up. Uh, for whatever reason and realized I was gone and was pissed because she couldn't figure out how I got out of the house. And so she went and locked all the screen doors and all the windows so that I would have to knock to get in the house. And I came back to the house and was standing at the back door and realized it was locked. And I stood there for about 10 minutes thinking about what I was going to do. And the end of that conversation with myself was it's time to go. And I walked away from the house and never went back. Um, I mean, never went back to live there. Um, you know, yeah. we, went, we went through our ups and downs over the uh, over the over those early years, obviously, of of maintaining relationship. But that's that's such a long history. That's normal, and, <clears throat> right? Um, but <laughs> yeah, 
but yeah, it was it not an abusive situation at yeah, all. Yeah. It was that was part of the I referenced the arrogance that I was earlier about Mona's response to my arrogance. That that's the energy that I think kept me alive to the point that I was able to make a conscious decision to change things because yeah. it takes a shit ton of arrogance to my mind to be standing in front of your parents' house at 16 years old and go, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's like, like, it's an arrogance, but it's also a very problem solving mentality too. It seems. Yes. No, no, it, it served me plenty. I just, it, and, and once I learned how to harness that energy differently and it not showing up as arrogance, it was a whole lot better. Yeah. Um, it, and definitely another one I wanted to ask was um, you mentioned the, or I guess before I get into the sex aspect of it, but you said you were married for 24 years and, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you mentioned that as part of your survival, but I, I think you went into it, right. Not knowing that you would survive that long. So, so I guess my question would be, do you wish you left earlier than the 24, four years? Are you happy with yeah. what it was? Yeah, no, it, the, the hindsight is an amazing thing, but in the context of the end of the relationship, um, it was probably a good four or five years at the end that it, that it started to get bumpy. Um, but you know, the, the three to five year period was just sort of those moments and places where it just got really hard, but we got through it and it was fine. And I was working through my stuff and all that. The last two years really, I think is where my, that internal thing, that lack of authenticity about my sexuality was really starting to create pressure in the relationship. Um, I had gone on a trip at one point to um, Italy uh, and England. I had gone for a vacation and um, I was solo. And when I was in Italy, uh, I explored um, and and, uh, uh, enjoyed some connection with men in in Italy. And when I came back from that trip, apropos of nothing actually uh she asked me about it and unfortunately i'm just not a good liar so because the table because the question was on the table i had to answer the question and i did um and that really created a a huge huge rift um obviously and and it actually surprised me because uh it was so intense for what i thought was like not a big deal. It's like, I'm, I'm here. I came back. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't leave, but it, it became, I, I mean, it, it was a huge deal for a while. It took a long time for that to settle. Um, and to kind of, uh, not be the thing that it became, which I never quite understood anyway, except maybe to push me even further to get clear about what I was doing. Um, mm. and that led, so that kind of continued that evolution where I kind of went, you know, um, I'm less and less wanting to put this part of me aside um, to be here. And I'm also tired of feeling like I am the problem in the relationship. Um, and technically I really was because I had this huge conflict going on in myself again. Yeah. That, But in the context of her and I, uh, it always seemed to be about me needing to fix myself. And I think the realization came... Um, at one, well, it came in a, in a very powerful way because I had decided, uh, I was working, um, I was working late one night and I decided to meet a guy, um, to have a bite to eat. We had been chatting and I was like, I'm just going to say hi and meet this person and see what's up. We never had sex. We never got engaged in, in, in any way like that. And, uh, sitting at the table, um, I got two calls and I didn't answer them. And then when I went to answer the, 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 when I went to get the voicemails, they were just these awful vitriol, horrible, nasty email voicemails from, from my ex-wife. Um, which really I think was about her knowing that this was shifting, (laughs) you know, that ultimately I think we both were aware that things were devolving for us because we were no longer really creating the things that we had been creating, um, Mm. together. It went from, this couple that could create a lot of amazing things to this couple who would fight each other at a drop of the hat in a restaurant. It didn't matter where yeah. we were, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of alluding to that point that you made earlier is you were a young gay, crazy boy, but now you wanted to be a, a, a gay man and, and be, I guess experience that side of you a bit more maturely. And then also 
I know that there was a, that 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 huge age difference, and she was probably getting into her more senior years, and you were still mm-hmm. a bit more spry and energetic, uh, which I'm sure didn't help a lot with uh, with that relationship either. Yeah, no, and that was another key piece. There was there was a point. It wasn't the reason, but it was part of it. Part of the understanding for me as as I went through the process of of leaving that marriage was by that point I was. I think she was in her sixties. Well, let's see, six, seven, twenty. Yeah, she was in her sixties, and I was in my forties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was coming into a, a, an aspect of myself that I had, you know, I was, I was an adult male now. I was, I was, I, I had spent a solid twenty years learning who this was, and and learning this person in context to relationship, and learning this person in context to work in the world, and she was beyond incredible with what she was willing to do to help me get where I got um, mm-hmm. and to getting to that place of being the person that I am um, and then taking that person and going somewhere else. But, um, but I think that I almost think that in a way that that was kind of a known, I guess, um, because it wasn't a pray the gay situation. It wasn't anything like that. It was mm-hmm. uh, that there was going to be a point where that was going to have to be confronted again. Um, and, and so that's what ended up happening. So that night those calls came through and I stopped and went, what are you doing, Jim? What are you doing? This is, this isn't an, isn't an integrity with you, with her, with the situation, which was not about me being bad and wrong. It was about stop playing this game. Now, you know, you're not happy. You know, she's not happy. You guys aren't creating anything useful. It's time to step up and, and, and tell the truth. And that was that night. I literally went home that night and sat at the end of the bed and, and told her that the, you know, that the marriage was over. Sounds and, very much like that. Those voicemails were the locked door that your mom, that your mom put out. Yeah. That's a very interesting, that's a powerful, powerful pa- metaphor. I hadn't even thought about that, but that's exactly the same process. Like, I guess I just needed to get smacked upside the head a little bit to like pay attention to what, what am I doing? Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're sitting at a table with a man you don't know who you know is gay and who you know you want to get to know. <laughs> and interestingly enough, that conversation, he started the conversation with how long have you been married? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was, and he had uh, observed, I had a, I had a tan line on my finger and he mm. observed that and, and was not, and, and the entire conversation completely changed. Um, um. So that was also an interesting wake up of, wow, you're not even genuine here, dude. You got to you gotta work yeah. this out. <laughs> so you, you consciously took off the ring before the date is what you're saying. Um, yeah. And it wasn't, yeah. I'm trying to think if we actually, cause we did, I had a ring, but I don't think we had rings. Like I had a ring that I wore and did she have a ring that she wore? I'm trying to remember if we did rings. <laughs> Cause I just, I, I'm blown away that I don't remember. I don't think we did, but I wore a ring on my left okay. hand that was, um, that I wore for the entire marriage. I mean, that was, it was just, yeah. I, it was my thing. I don't, I don't remember if, geez, that's horrible. I can't remember that because it wasn't traditional. <laughs> I mean, we got yeah. married, we got married in the, in the middle of a medicine wheel out in this, out in Sedona. You know, I mean, it was, it was a, I mean, it was an official marriage, but it wasn't a, 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 a typical marriage. Or wedding. Yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. Uh going back to the whole sex component of the relationship. I know mm-hmm. like you said came out double barrels blazing. Um then you went dry until I'm guessing that Italy trip for the most part or mm-hmm. at least um on maybe just like confusing sexual experiences. How, like how was that you pleasuring her but also her pleasuring you in a relationship that seem to both be missing the correct tools to, to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, um, it was work. Um, we, uh, we went through many kind of iterations. Um, we started with, uh, I would, uh, ultimately what we ended up with was I was given permission to watch porn. Um, and, and that was something that we needed because I had to get stimulated in order to, in order to engage. So I would get stimulated and get wound up and get all horny from watching the, the videos. And then I would, you know, then we would have sex. 
Um, okay. I can't even imagine what that felt like. I mean, it's so weird having these conversations now because of how far I've come in my own personal experience to think back of what that must have felt like for her. Um, knowing full well, she, I mean, you know, she, she's no victim in the situation. She walked into it as wide eyed as I did, but just the thought that, that, that that was the case kind of makes my heart hurt a little cause there wasn't anything I could do about it. Um, mm-hmm. because I wasn't physically sexually attracted. So it was the only way to get from point A to point B. Um, and at the same time, it, 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 it sucks that it was the only way to get from point A to point B cause I was married to her. Yeah. And, and, and like, I guess how often would you, because if it was an unenjoyable experience for the most part, or, or I guess not even unenjoyable, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just different. Um, different. How often would you try to, I guess, engage in that in order to, to make that experience like sexual intimacy or physical intimacy work? It was, 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 was probably, I mean, at minimum once a week. Um mm-hmm. Sometimes it went longer, but sometimes it was more. Um, interestingly enough, <laughs> the thought that goes through my mind as I say that is the what it became in some regard was a chance to watch porn because then I could see guys naked. So the more I could do that, as long as I was using that on her, she was fine. So it became a thing of, you know, it was regular because I could, I knew I could, I could get good and horny. Um, and I got to look at, I got to look at, you know, naked men. <laughs> so yeah. I could, you know, I could do that. And I think we actually migrated, I'm trying to remember, um, cause it was only straight porn originally. And I think it migrated to gay porn, um, late, 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 late in the process. And I'm trying, I'm trying to remember if that was, I'm sure we talked about it uh, because that was a sticking point for a long time. Um, was that it not be gay porn mm-hmm. um, so that it wasn't constantly reinforcing, you know, that whole experience. Um, mm-hmm. And again, mainly because I was married to a woman and I needed to engage with a woman. So it didn't really matter in some regard because the porn worked. Mm-hmm. You know, it worked for its purposes. Yeah. And I, I guess another question I would have is who decided or, or why was it decided that in this kind of unique situation, there was no sleeping outside of what you had? Because I feel like that might be something that another uh, approach would have taken is, you know, we always come home, we have our own emotional intimacy, but why, why can you explore sexual intimacy in, in other ways with other people? If that was kind of what was would have been probably maybe better in that that sense i think that it was a non-starter for her um but as i listen to you talk about the question you know it's so funny reflecting on it now i think it in potentially was a non-starter because it forced me to continually look into myself about my sexuality about my relationship about what i was doing and to take it outside of the relationship at that point probably would have done, uh, would have been a, a greater disservice to the entire process because it would have been very easy for me to keep the focus there, you know. Mm. Um, and and I I knew me well enough to know, given the number of partners I had had, I knew me well enough to know that if it went there, um, I don't even know that I would have hung around. Yeah. So it's, it's like a lot of fear from her that you would enjoy it too much to, to come back, I guess. I I don't know that I would say it was fear on her part other than common sense. Hmm. Um, She was not, and and, don't get me wrong. She was not a, a a control freak, you know, manipulating kind of thing. It wasn't that it was a very straightforward experience. I mean, we were very honest with each other. Hmm. Um, I mean, there was, there was a early on, there was a, um, we, we had a whole process that I went through because she was willing to let me sec and, and at the time, I don't know that I was conscious that women allowed guys to, to go up the butt. Um, I don't know that I knew that. Um, and she willingly was willing to do that so that it was closer to what I was used to. Um, mm-hmm. And I couldn't do it. 
I couldn't, I couldn't, my mind couldn't get around the difference. It, it just, it pushed all kinds of buttons about my understanding of women, uh, my relationships with women. Um, you know, I mean, I found I had a, a kind of a pedestal thing with women um, that, you know, that they, that they were, are special and, and, and the idea of doing to her what I did with men was, was nauseating to me. Um, mm. I couldn't, I couldn't stomach it. I couldn't get, I couldn't get hard. I couldn't stay there. Um, there was nothing about it that felt while she thought it was a bridge to me, it was almost like sacrilege. Um, mm. I, I had no idea how I was going to, and I couldn't, um, and I don't, and I think it ever happened actually. Um, in mm. the end, it never happened and it never happened again throughout the relationship. It was straight intercourse. Yeah. So, so not nauseating in the sense of, Ooh, you're not a woman. I'm not attracted to you, but nauseating. And even the idea that it, it was not about them as a sexual being. It was just about them as like a being in general, not like, does that make sense? Does that, does that question make sense? Um, I think so. It was, um, the, the, the turning of the stomach was for me, a deeply internal thing of, it would not, it, I could not come to a place where it was okay for me to do with her what I did with men, mm. because in this case, to me, it seemed debasing. Um, that's what I remember the feeling for me was, I can't do that. I can't, that's no. And, and she kept asking, well, how could you, what do you mean? How could you not? And I'm like, I can't bring that here. I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't, uh, that's a whole debased feeling that whole, yeah, yeah it was awful. Um, I, the, uh, the only, the only kind of likewise thing I would say that I feel with that is for me. And I think straight guys, it's, you know, sometimes you match with girls on Tinder or whatever, and you're like, okay, I could foresee myself kind of being more sexual with you. That's really what I want to get out of like with you for like that's the main purpose i want to get with you there's other women that you match with and you're like i really want to date this person this person's like wife material i can't even imagine doing that right now because i want to you know it's it's it, it's not i guess the same thing but it's it's the sense that th there's some things that i would picture with other women that i find nauseating but with a different woman it's like i could that's kind of what i would be want to do with her if we were to talk or we were to continue things yeah um, well and, and the only difference being is that she was already my wife so yeah it was all that 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 whatever bond connection oh my i need to change the bond or the connection or whatever um didn't uh made a difference to me mm -hmm. made a huge difference to me in in um what i was able to do. Yeah. I, I even think that was a really fascinating part of how you held women on like a pedestal in a lot of ways. Like why, where would you think that would come from? Wow. We, we spent a lot of time trying to untangle that. Um, I can even see right now, I literally can see myself sitting in the house in, in Arizona, having this conversation as we're sitting in bed, talking about this and the feelings of something about, for me, mother, divine feminine, I, I, I don't really know where to go with it because it was so overwhelming. Um, it, it didn't seem to have a relationship to my actual life experience, meaning, uh, you know, my mom's a great, was a great mom. She's a very cool human being. But I don't know that I ever had her on some giant pedestal. Um, so it's weird for me to have that. It seems to me that something about being married and, and, and being married to a woman triggered something inside of me that I, 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 I never experienced before. And still to mm -hmm. this day, because I still have a I still hold the feminine experience in very high regard. Um, I hold women in very high regard. Um, there's a, there's a, I don't know if it has to do with, you know, when I was, when I was, uh, before all of this came to pass, I had, uh, after I had dropped out of high school, um, I went to, uh, I went to visit a friend at, at a at her college that she was going, she was my best friend and ended up going to that college. And it was a private Catholic college. And I lived in a seminary for six months and, and was, 
an inch away from becoming a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that was a very big part of my experience all growing up because I'd always felt very connected, meaning, you know, whatever you call the God, the higher self, whatever, I always felt very connected to something bigger than me. And, and that, that I think was part of the experience with, with Mona and getting married was this almost priest-like kind of thing. Like this wasn't, you know, but I was also dealing with the fact that not dealing with, but well, yeah, dealing with the fact that, that underneath all of that, I was gay. So, <laughs> so, you know, the layers of this gay man underneath who still has this stuff going on, but is wanting to try to learn more about who he is being married to a woman who was a very strong, powerful woman that I looked up to, who I thought was an extraordinary human being, or still do think is an extraordinary human being. Um, that whole act just felt like total debasement. I yeah. mean, it's the only, and, and that word really describes the feeling. Mm-hmm. That's really, really interesting to me and, and probably a lot interesting to you as well as, as clearly you've explored it and explored that conversation with Mona. Mm-hmm. Um, but shifting now to where you're currently at, you've been w- with a man for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Like, would you describe yourself as happier now? Would you say that there's a pressure off your back now that you're not really denying that part of you or not even like denying it? Cause you never, you always owned it, but now that yeah. you can live that way. Yeah. I would say the answer to that question is absolutely. Um, the evolution of, of my marriage to Michael, my husband, uh, was a very powerful, organic, wonderful unfolding that I never expected. Um, I was, he, he actually worked for me, um, while I was married. Um, I was an area manager for a restaurant chain and he was one of my managers and, uh, I, I was aware of an attraction to him, but of course, at the point I was married and wasn't pursuing that. And um, then I left the market in that January of 2019 or 2009. I, I left that the market I was in and moved back to the market that I lived in, which was in Arizona. And um, nine, it was like, and then that year was the crazy year because that was the year that 2009 was. In, in, in February, I realized that conversation that took place, the, the phone calls when I decided I needed to end the marriage. Two weeks after ending the marriage, I was diagnosed with cancer. I went into cancer treatment for six months, came out in June or three months, whatever it was, came out in June. Uh, the day I went back to work, I got fired from my job. Um, two months later, I lost my house that I'd had for 12 years. So I watched everything that I had built for the past 25 years completely disintegrate. Mm-hmm. And um, I had decided to go over, over 4th of July weekend to visit my brother in California. So, and, and my mom was in California at the time or still is. And, uh, so I went to visit them. And, uh, while I was there, had this extraordinary experience of, uh, in my head, uh, I woke up, I woke up one, uh, the Monday after the 4th of July weekend. And I heard in my head, you know, you come out of that groggy place and I hear in my head, go see Michael. What do you mean, go see Michael? And I, and I was like trying to put together Michael, and I realized Michael was Michael, the restaurant manager. He lived 15 minutes from where my mom was. And that went on for an hour. Go see Michael. Go see Michael. Like, why the hell would I go see Michael? At that point, I had already been away from out of the marriage for six months. And and so I ended up going. And um, I went down to see him that day. Uh, it was incredible. We've been together every ever since that yeah. moment, literally. Um, I mean, of course, I was still in Arizona. We did some distant stuff for a little while, but then I moved to San Diego. And um, but yeah, it was quite extraordinary. And and I was able to take everything from what I'd learned about myself as a man in the relationship with Mona, and still carry that forward into this relationship now as a gay male, as an adult male. That all of the things that I had learned were readily applicable and readily important and necessary to having a successful relationship. Mm-hmm. And because there wasn't all of that other stuff, now I could literally explore what it was like to be in relationship in that connected way with someone that I was deeply in love with in a different form. Um, mm-hmm. Because that was, while I love Bona very deeply, I don't think I was ever in love with her. Where Michael, in love meaning in that state of this person, you know, 
it, it, I don't even know how to describe the difference. Um, it's a, it's a connection. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, I had nothing to hide. I had nothing to, I just had Restrict. to show up. Yeah. I yeah. just had to show up. And, and so I got to do that and I got to do it in a way that, um, whether or not Michael and I ever got together, I was okay with that. Um, you know, we went through in the beginning, of course, the periods of, I don't know if we're going to get, you know, if I'm ready for this I, from Michael's side, I don't know if I'm ready for a relationship, but I'm, you know, blah, 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 blah. And through that whole thing, I was very clear. Um, I was very clear about what I wanted. And I was also clear that um, I could walk this and not be, um, not be dragged either direction. You know, I, I, I wanted this to work out. And so that's where I kept my focus and that's what happened. And, and what would you say has been like, the main, obviously there was that physical intimacy and that sexual intimacy that came with it. That was probably different than Mona, but what did that, what does your relationship with Michael taught you about being a man that you didn't already know that you didn't get mm-hmm. to explore in your relationship with Mona? Cause you said you explored a lot. Mm-hmm. So what was kind of new and what has been new that has provided that, that growth um, for yourself? I think so many things changed for me in, in the, over the course of that time. And, and some of the things, the first thing that strikes me is, is something that um, I, I actually say to anybody that I talk about relationship with is that it was, there were two key things, two or three key things I think that, that were important to me. One, it, it, that I had to be willing to accept him as exactly as he is, as he mm-hmm. was, as he is. Meaning, um, it wasn't my job to change him. It wasn't my job to make him different. And if I truly loved him, then I was going to uplift him for who he was and who he is. The second part was that that I think I brought to this was that there was I was also, and still I'm very clear that I don't ever want to see my pain in his eyes. Um, I don't ever want to bring my shit at him in a way that. I can see that I've inflicted my pain on him. Now, has that been perfect? No, but it's been 90% perfect. Mm. Um, That I realize I have ownership of what's mine. And the fact that we can coexist and that we enjoy each other's company and that we uplift each other and that we, we share common goals and desires and that we just enjoy each other's company. Um, is it was huge and and Mm -hmm. and and seeing my willingness to be completely i don't want to sound goofy (laughs) but to just be a man and show up Mm. really to show up in the relationship in a way that i was fully available emotionally fully available at every level without being um without being in any way uh out of balance with it, meaning I could share myself and I could share with him and that would stimulate a sharing with him. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we've had conversations too over the years where as I've gone my path and things have exploded or grown in ways that I had never anticipated, um, we've had a conversation a couple times about being in the same ballpark, you know, that you don't have to believe what I believe. You don't have to think like I think. You don't have to, you don't have to do those things, but what you got to do is stay in the ballpark. And what I mean is you got to be, we got to be in the same arena, even if we're not sitting in the same section, because Mm -hmm. I want you to be fully realized in who you are as much as you want me to be. But if we're not in the same arena at some point, our, our, our vibrational state's going to separate, you know, we're going to go, we're not, we're no longer going to be harmonious. We're not going to be, um, we're not going to have that sense of connection because we're not finding ways to connect in the same arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's been really, really helpful. Um, we, uh, different where, where Mona and I would have a lot of intense and, and hard conversations because that's where I was in my life. Now we can sit, you know, Michael and I do these things called powwows every now and again. And a powwow is where we go sit at the bed together, cross legged and hold hands because we need to have a tough conversation but what we want to establish from the foundation is that we love each other and, and this is a loving conversation with each other. And, mm. and so we stay in that connection. So neither of us can go off on some wild mind goose chase, you know, or a wild mind story we're making up about whatever's going on. 
we can stay with each other and connect and talk through those things. And, and that's been huge. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my comfort with myself as a man coming out of that, um, made all the difference in the world to the success of the relationship because I'm, I don't, I don't have insecurities about who I am. Yeah. So, um, that makes a big difference, I think, in a relationship because I don't need him to be anything other than who he is. Yeah. I, I love that. That seems like a, a great way to kind of end that part of the conversation. And just for your reference too, you've yeah. talked a lot about your arrogance and I'm really glad you said that you did, you showed up, you don't show up perfectly all the time. Cause after all, this is the imperfect pod. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I love that because imperfect for me has two, two meanings. So imperfect is all about how uh, men fail a lot and we need to own that failure. But it's also I want to break up the M and, and make it I'm perfect because a lot of men carry this arrogance that we're perfect at the same time, right? Yeah. Like we don't want to get out of our shell. We don't want to shake loose that snake skin or whatever, however you kind of want to word it. And you've talked a lot about your arrogance, your, your I'm perfect side of you. And you've mm-hmm. talked a lot about the imperfect side of you. And for that reason, this is one of the, one of my favorite conversations because it just seems to tie in so well to the overall theme and concept that I'm trying to build at the imperfect pod. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Jim, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. Uh, I, I really love it. And, uh, and now I want to allow you to promote yourself. So yeah. what you got going on in your life that people can <laughs> check out, where can people find you? Okay. Um, I know that you mentioned a book. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the process behind all that and, and, and how can people connect with you? So the thrust of my work is all in consciousness. Um, I have a, I have a, um, I also have a show. Um, I do a live cast uh, twice a week, Wednesdays at uh, 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time and Fridays at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And uh, that's on, uh, it shows up on Facebook Live, YouTube Live and E360 TV, which is the network that I'm a part of. And so I do that show. It's called Adventures in Truth. And uh, you can go to www.adventuresintruth.com. Uh, it's my website. You can learn more about the show. And then you can also find out about my book, um, Fear is a Choice. Um, the book actually came before all of this. Um, the book the book was an evolution of my own process of consciousness. And this is, a, to me, is a, an incredible book, um, quite honestly, because it, it, it can change your life because it changes your relationship with fear. And mm-hmm. to your point about the imperfect and, and the masculine energy, one of the major things that changed my life was changing my relationship with fear and getting to talk about that um, in, in, in a way that people get to understand how shifting from a fear-based consciousness to an opportunity-based consciousness changes everything. Um, and so at the website, www.adventuresintruth.com, you can uh, order the book there, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, IndieBound. You can get Kindle as a Kindle version as well. Um, and then, of course, I'm on Facebook and, and Instagram, and I think an inst- Instagram is the Science of Transformation, which is the name of my company. Um, I work with clients one-on-one. I also do um, group setting stuff, so there's all that information. So that my whole deal is helping people shift from that fear-based experience into an opportunity-based experience because that, that apparent little step changes the course of one's entire life. And mm. uh, so that's really what my passion is. Um, and I'm thrilled that I, I got to be here with you to share a bit of my history because quite honestly, I don't talk about it. Um, mm. not because I'm ashamed of it or afraid of it because it's history <laughs> yeah. and, and where I am now, all of that contributed to the success and to the, to the success I feel as a man. Now, mm. um, I walk through the world as a confident male, but a sensitively confident male, meaning I know my role is not only to show up, but it's also to be receptive. It's also to, un, you know, to, to engage from both directions. And so mm-hmm. to me, that, that, that balanced male perspective means I, I've incorporated, because I don't fear either side of it, meaning the male side or the female side, I've found a way to integrate them so that I can have a sensitivity, but I can also have a clarity. And, mm-hmm. and that clarity is, is, I think, what propels me forward. Yeah. And that's beautifully, beautifully said. Do you, uh, do you think we can partner for a signed copy, uh, like a giveaway, uh, one book? I'd love is that to. Something, is that something we can uh, manage? Absolutely. There? Yeah. We can do a couple if you want. 
Perfect. Let's uh, let's take that conversation off camera, but uh, then I can maybe get some of my audience to to win a couple of signed books from the Mister Jim Case himself. That would be fantastic. All right, Jim. Thank you again so much for being here. And, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me. All right. I look forward to to sharing this with my audience. Thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode with Jim. I really hope you found it powerful um, and interested as interesting as I did. Um, you know, I think when we hear of these situations of a gay man being married to a straight woman, we think, um, pray the gay way, but that wasn't the case as you heard with Jim. Um, and now he's a little able to own a little bit more of himself. Uh, as mentioned and discussed at the end, I am giving away uh, three copies of his book. So make sure to head over to the imperfect pod at the imperfect pod uh, on Instagram to figure out how you can be entered into that contest. Um, that's kind of it. And I look forward to next week's episode. As always, please leave a review if you enjoyed it. Um, just scroll down to Apple podcasts um, and write a review. That's really it. That's uh, really simple or leave a subscribe, leave a follow if you're listening on, uh, on Spotify. <laughs>